All right, so do I have any procrastinators in the room? Procrastinate. All y'all should be raising your hands because I know you guys because I don't. Okay, we're gonna, I'm going to ask that again. We're going to try to get crowd participation up. You guys are allowed to participate. You can talk um, to me. You could say things like amen or that's right or uh, preach it or you could do kind of a come on. You could say a come on. Let's try, try, let's try come on. Say come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. All right, that's good. All right. So how many procrastinators do I have in the room? There we go. That's the kind of excitement I want to see at Epworth. So I want to tell you the Wikipedia definition of procrastination. Listen to this. Procrastination is the avoidance, avoidance of doing a task which needs to be accomplished. It is the practice of doing more pleasurable things in place of less pleasurable ones or carrying out less urgent tasks instead of more urgent tasks, thus putting off impending tasks, things that we have to do until a later time. And uh, when, uh, when, when I was reading like some like scientific study of procrastinating, and basically the, the number one procrastination reason is because we think we'll just do it someday. I'll do that someday. And in fact, when we have deadlines, um, and the de- they did like these studies, like if the deadline was like in the week of, the, of, the, of, the, of, the, of giving the assignment, then the people would like get it done. They'd start working right away. But if it was just the next week, like if it went from Saturday to Monday, they're like, oh, that's next week. I'll do that someday. I'll just do that someday. And many of the things in our lives are like, yeah, I'll do that someday. Yeah, mom, I'll get to that sometime. Yeah, dad, I'll get to that sometime. Oh, there's a project due at the end of the semester and it's like my entire grade. I'll wait till December. It'll be great. It's no big deal. I can handle it. And then we get to it and we're like, I can't do anything. I'm going crazy. I'm freaking out because we procrastinate. We love to procrastinate. I know that I um, have frequently procrastinated in my life. There are some just ridiculous things I've put before, um, you know, before work and before, uh, before studying, before more important things. There are times in college where I remember like, I would be studying and I'd have to study for a test and like I'd be sitting in my room and, um, and I would study for like five minutes and I'd be like, you know what, I need a break. All right, I need a break. I need to do something. So I would just, um, like Facebook was still new and it was like awesome. And we were like, oh yeah, we're in college and Facebook just started. So, and only college students were on it. So it was really cool. So I'd get on that and I'd just log in and see how many friends I had at like Miami or Florida A&M or UCLA or something and because it listed it all by school and I would just spend like 30 minutes doing that and be like, all right, maybe, maybe I'll study again. Five more minutes of studying then I'd be like, uh, okay, I think I, need to, I think I need to go get a drink of water and then a drink of water turned into watching a reality TV show with my roommate and I would just keep procrastinating and putting things off and many times we have done the same thing, right? We, we have these big tasks, we have these important things but we just would rather do the easy thing or the lazy thing. And so we might find ourselves just sitting and watching Netflix for 10 hours in a row. And we're like, oh my gosh, I still have never, I haven't done anything uh, on my project or done anything uh, for work. And um, the number one reason I know you guys procrastinate is with homework, because I can't tell you how many times I've texted someone or talked to them later in the week. I say, hey man, where were you on Sunday at United? Oh, I had homework. Oh, okay. Like, 48 hours worth of homework? Uh, no, like, you know, standard weekend homework, couple, couple tests coming up, and I uh, had, to, had to do some stuff. Oh, yeah, when did you get assigned that? Friday. Okay. Um, when did you start working on it? 
Sunday at 5.30. All right, well, you procrastinated because in between United and school, there was a period known as Friday night, Saturday day, and then Sunday afternoon between church and United. And so you could have done it at other times, but you chose to procrastinate it. And sometimes actually procrastinating uh, takes us out of the equation for doing things that we want to do. Like we might have things that are really important, but because we've procrastinated so much, it takes us out of the, it takes us out of being able to do that thing. We have an event coming up and we're like, well, oh yeah, I'm kind of excited about the event, but then we wait till the last minute to do our stuff. And then all of a sudden we're working like crazy and we can't go to the event. And we're like, oh, sorry, I couldn't make it. No, you could make it. You just decided not to make it by procrastinating. We love to procrastinate. Teenagers love to procrastinate. Americans love to procrastinate. I think it's just a human thing. And so what we're going to talk today about is not procrastinating and about urgency. Everybody say urgency. urgency. All right, open up to John 9, John 9, Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John chapter 9, verses 4 through 5. John chapter 9, verses 4 and 5. Jesus talks a little bit about urgency here. And he's talking to, uh, he's talking some, 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 to some people and some teachers of the law. And uh, he's talking, um, he's talking uh, about, I'm sorry, I, I lost my place. Where am I? Where am I? Okay, he, he's, he's talking, uh, uh, going up towards a blind man in the presence of, of a crowd. And, and he sees this blind man that was blind from birth and all the disciples are like, well, what made him blind, Jesus? It, was it because he did something wrong? His parents did something wrong? Uh, what, what's going on here? And he says, well, it's not about the sin. Um, that doesn't really, you know, that's not how things work. You don't just sin and then like you get hurt. That, that's not what we do. Um, but this is, this is what he says. Um, he says, this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in this, in this blind man. And verses four and five, the ones we're gonna look at. He says, as long as it is day, as long as it is day, this can be translated into like, as long as it is right now. Well, it's always right now. If we're breathing, it's right now. Two seconds ago was two seconds ago, but right now is right now. And so as long as it is day, as long as it is right now, we must do the works of him who sent me. Notice that he doesn't say I. He doesn't say I must do the works of him who sent me. He says we. Who are we? We are the children of God, followers of Christ. So even in his speech right here, he says, we, all of us, right now, all the future followers, we must do the works of him who sent me. That is God. Night is coming. What he means by this is, is death is coming. Um, we don't live forever, right? We, we die at some point. Death will come at some point. Death is coming. Night is coming when we can no longer work, when no one can work. Verse five, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So as he talks to these, these disciples and these followers, what he says is, um, we have a mission. 
We have a purpose and we cannot procrastinate it. We cannot push it off till later. It is urgent. It is right now. And throughout this message, you're going to think, well, right, gosh, Ryan, that's kind of mean. Like, that's, you're talking about urgent. Well, that's what urgency is. Urgency uh, takes a little bit of, like, a little bit of a gut check, a little bit of, like, we got to do this. It, it might sound a little bit harsh sometimes because urgency is urgent. When you're playing a sport and someone does the wrong thing, you might yell at a teammate. You don't hate your teammate, but you're like, come on, man, you got to get back and, and, and you know, guard your lane or cover your lane or cover that guy. You got to run the right route. You got you to set a pick here, whatever, so that we can, we can win. We can be successful. It is urgent. And so sometimes urgency sounds a little bit aggressive, but but it's just the nature of urgency. It's not mean, it's just, it's, it's just how it is. And so he says, as long as it's day, we need to do the works of him who sent me. Night's coming and we won't be able to do anything anymore. Our, our, our chance will be gone. Our chance will be gone. And, and so the first thing, the first point tonight, or to this morning is the mission is urgent. Write that down, the mission is urgent. The mission is the great commission that we talked about last night, to go and make disciples. The mission is urgent. And now I'm going to say this, and, 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 I, and I want to say this with, uh, just so you know, with full love, and, and, and just, I'm just telling you, I'm just speaking a little truth, but, but this is all in love, and, and this is not meant to be like a scare tactic. I'm not into that. This isn't meant to be like a, like, a, like a thing like, oh my gosh, you better do this, or this will happen. But there is a reality, and we see it in Scripture. It says, um, Whoever comes to the Father must come through the Son. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Except through me being Jesus. And so um, the reason why the mission is urgent is that some people that you love, some people that you like, some people that you know in your day-to-day -day life, some people close to you, some people that are just kind of acquaintances, but there are people in your life that at this point may spend eternity apart from God. They may spend eternity apart from God because if we believe in scripture and we do, we read the Bible and we take it seriously and we take it literally, we take Jesus' words as truth. If we believe him, then we know there is only one way. And in America, a lot of times we're like, well, you know, um, they'll find their own way and, ah, oh, you know, bless their heart. They'll, they'll, they'll figure it out someday. And, and we, and we, ah, oh, well, we shouldn't talk about that because it's a little bit... Uh, I don't want to offend them. And, and, but there is a reality here. The, the cool thing about Christianity is it's the most wide open and clear faith system known to mankind. It tells you exactly what you must do. You must put your faith in Jesus Christ and he will do the rest. All other religions, all other world religions are like, eh, you know, if, you, if you're kind of good and if you do this and do that, you might get a better life, or you might come back to something better, or you might spend eternity doing something good, but, but they, don't, they never tell you really how to do it. Jesus and Scripture tells us what we must do, and it is open to all people, no matter what you have done, no matter where you are from. But, but there is the reality that some people may spend eternity apart from God, some people that you love and are close to. And as we talked about last night, hell is not like, I'm not gonna stand up here and be like, oh, they're gonna get tortured and like poked and like prodded and height, fire and heat and all this stuff and cages and animals and it's gonna be terrible. That's, that's, that's more of a literary description of what hell is. That's more of like a, a comparison, a metaphorical, um, a metaphorical thing. What it's really saying is, imagine living with guilt and shame for the rest of eternity. 
Imagine living with missed opportunities for the rest of eternity with regret. Think about how bad regret feels like just when you like miss a shot in a sport or you say something stupid in front of your friends and you're like, oh gosh, that was so dumb. I can't believe I did that. And think about living in massive amounts of regret for eternity. Living, um, living in, this, in this mode of trying to be better and trying to earn our way to be better and, and, and to do more and to be successful constantly for the rest of eternity. It's like, it's like a hamster wheel, just a hamster just running on a wheel. That's, that's almost how I envision hell, just like you're just constantly running and getting nowhere for all of eternity. And, and worst of all is that you don't get to spend eternity with the one who created you, the one who knows you, the one who loves you, the one who values you and, and cares about you no matter what. That is, that's the absolute biggest tragedy in the entire universe is that people don't get to spend eternity with Jesus and spend eternity with God. And James, uh, James is a, uh, is a, a friend of Jesus um, a, follow, a close follower of Jesus. And he says in James 4, he says, um, we don't know what's coming. We don't know what's coming. We don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow. We can't plan. We could plan ahead, but we don't know. You know, you know we, could, we could pass away in our sleep. We could, um, we could have uh, something big happen at work and we have to go there and we can no longer go on vacation. We can't just plan everything ahead and think I control the world. We don't control anything. We don't know what's coming. The mission is urgent. The, the, my best uh, two stories for this are um, uh, two things. One was this past summer. Um, this past summer in Jamaica, uh, there was a, a. We were in Monique, and, and that's where Cole is. And there was a man who was uh, who was hit by a car crossing the roads. And in Jamaica, they drive like crazy, and they don't have ambulances. They don't have that kind of stuff. Hospitals are only in certain towns. And basically, your best bet is like get a taxi, which is a rough situation, to go down to the nearest hospital if you get really hurt. Um, you're kind of just screwed if you get really hurt. So this man got hit by a, like a truck um, and was in severe, severe condition. And Cole um, has, has had some experiences as a first responder, and, and there were kids everywhere, so he, he kind of pushed them back. Um, and like Jamaicans are kind of just like, <sighs> you, you can only understand if you've been to Jamaica. They're all just kind of looking and like, Oh, yeah, man, he, he got hit, him got hit. And the guy's like dying there and they're just like just standing there watching and smoking marijuana. But Cole goes up and actually starts helping the guy and he starts uh, uh, talking to him and kind of trying to just stabilize his neck and try to, and so they have to pick him up in a taxi. And so they try to put him in a taxi without moving everything around. Um, it was actually a man that worked at the college that we stay at, uh, a, a, a worker on the campus. And um, we found out, uh, he, he got down to the hospital um, but passed away two days later. And I'm sure that man didn't wake up thinking, today I'm gonna die. Today I'm gonna get hit by a truck. He woke up thinking, just another day. But the truth is, we don't know what's coming up. And again, this is not a scare tactic, it's just the truth. We don't know what's gonna happen. We don't know what's coming up. I had a friend, uh, a good friend named Sam, and, um, and you know, he grew up in church, he he was, uh, I think he had faith, I think he knew God, but he wasn't, I'm not sure that he had a relationship with God, I'm not sure that he was super uh, close with, with, with him, uh, he didn't attend church, he wasn't involved in a church, and um, I, I played flag football with him, and I'd hang out, we'd go to Chick-fil-A, I told you I love Chick-fil-A, we'd go to Chick-fil-A and just talk for hours, um, and, uh, and he was one of my close friends that I felt like didn't really know God, didn't really know Jesus as his savior, and, uh, and so I would share my faith with him, I felt pretty comfortable sharing my faith with him, um, inviting him to church, talking about like, what do you believe? Kind of what's the deal? What, what's, what, what's going on with you? Um, and we had good conversations about it. They were very respectful back and forth. We would just kind of really get heart to heart. 
Um, but uh, about two years ago, just over two years ago, um, we were in Jamaica, and many of you have heard this story, and I got a call from my dad, and he had um, passed away um, and actually taken his own life. And, and this wasn't, just so you know, like, this wasn't like a guy who was like living in that, that mode, like this like depression, um, hurting myself type of deal. Like this wasn't like a pattern. This was really almost like a random act, maybe even an accident that he kind of didn't really mean to go through with it. But he did. And I know that he did not wake up that morning intending to do that. I know that I expected to play flag football with him for the next 10 years. I know I expected to hang out with him uh, for for a long time, as long as we were both in Jacksonville. But the truth was, I didn't know what was coming. I didn't know that he was not going to be with us anymore. And the truth is, we just don't know. And that's why the mission is urgent. Just a couple of stats. Uh, every 30 minutes worldwide, over 3,000 people die. Every 30 minutes. I mean, since the start of this service, almost uh, over 6,000 people have died worldwide. I mean, it's a humongous world. A lot of those people are you know, old people, and, and we knew they were going to pass away. They, they were living until they were 100 or whatever. They were very sick. Um, but again, people pass away all the time. There's new life coming, and there's there's old life passing away. And just in America, the statistics say there's about 68. We think, okay, America's a, America's a Christian country, which kind of, it, it kind of is. Um, the majority is, that's the main religion. But in America, all polls say that about 68% of everyone in the country is a Christian. About 68%. Now, we also know that most people will call themselves a Christian if they went to church one time, if their parents were a Christian, if, if they somewhat kind of believe in God. Um, but even out of these people, it would be very favorable for us to say that every single one of them had a relationship with Jesus. And even if we do consider that, even if we give the benefit of the doubt there, that means in America alone, based on that statistics, there are over 100 million people that don't know Jesus. 100 million people. The mission is urgent. And so flat, flip over to uh, Mark 2, 1 through 12. Mark 2, 1 through 12. Mark 2, 1 through 12. I want to I look at um, a story of some men who had some urgency when it came to helping a friend. Mark 2, 1 through 12. Many of you have heard this as well. And, and I want to let you know, I mean, a lot of times... We might hear a sermon on the same thing like a hundred times, so that doesn't mean we won't get something new every single time because there's different pieces you can pull out each time. So Mark 2, 1 through 12. It says, a few days later when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came carrying to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. So there, there's a group of men, but especially there, there were specifically four of them carrying him. Imagine there's people all outside the house. This is open air, uh, <clears throat> first century Israel. So we have open windows, people sitting in the windows, people looking in. Um, there may have been people like sitting on the roof, kind of listening in. There are people outside the doors in the courtyard um, usually they were one-story houses. Sometimes they had a courtyard in, in the middle. And so there's people just packed into this house where Jesus is kind of holding court, where Jesus is teaching and speaking. They're excited to see him. And so some men hear that he's here, and they know that he's a miracle man. He's a guy that has the power of God. And so it says, verse 4, since they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it 
and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. I want to tell you how roofs uh, were, were constructed in, in first century Israel. And we may have a picture. Cole, do we have that? Okay, we don't have that, but I'll explain it to you. Um, so the, it would be like this. There would be like log timbers, like real wide log timbers across the top of the house. Above that, they would put a lot of little reeds, small sticks. And so they would, they'd have the, the, the timbers like this and across it, they'd lay all the reeds. And then they'd put a bunch of straw and then they would seal it with mud. And so they would go up there and they would roll mud out and let it harden under the sun. And that was kind of like the waterproof aspect. And they would have to go up each year and they would continually add more and more mud to it. And so that's kind of how a roof was constructed. And so when they got up there, this is what they would have done. They would have probably walked up ladder or or walked upstairs to the top of the roof. People sat on the roof and kind of hung out on their roof, cooked on their roof, relaxed on their roof. Um, And so they went up there and they, they kind of figured out the place that Jesus was and they start digging. Um, It doesn't say they had tools, so I imagine, you know, they're just digging with their hands through hardened clay, getting it under their fingernails. I can imagine that the roof starts to kind of just sprinkle down dirt and and grass and and sticks on top of the people's head. And some people were probably like, what is going on? We're trying to listen to Jesus. What are some crazy people doing up on top of the roof, uh, just making a bunch of uh, of noise? And, and, And they would have been pounding at it. They would have been removing sticks and hay. Uh, eventually, the sunlight would start shining through. I'm sure, I'm sure Jesus noticed as he continued to teach. He notices that, okay, there's some people up here, but it doesn't say anything. Stop. They just kind of took, took it uh, as they went and continued to talk um, and hear from Jesus. And then eventually, they get a hole large enough in this roof um, to lower an entire human being through. So this could have taken... I don't know, this could have taken an hour of just hammering. They didn't even know how long Jesus was going to be there, but there was an urgency. They thought, if we can just get our friend before Jesus, everything's going to be okay. We can't get around the crowd, but maybe we can just just lower him in. Verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, notice he calls him son, we are all children of God. Son, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, thinking, listen, thinking, not, not talking, thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. He, who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Jesus knew their thoughts because he's God. He knows us fully, and yet he still loves us. Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier? Which is easier? Just saying to this man, your sins are forgiven? Or telling him to get up, take his mat, and walk. What he's saying is, I could say his sins are forgiven and there's no proof of it. I can easily say that. But if I tell him to get up and walk, he actually has to get up and walk or you're going to just call me a fraud. And so, which one is easier? You're getting mad at me about saying the sins are forgiven, but you're not mad about me telling him to get up and walk. And he says this, uh, but I want you to know that the Son of Man, Jesus, has authority on earth to forgive sins. And so to show that he can forgive sins, he does this. He says, so he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. The second straight miracle where he has told the person to go home. He got, <coughs> excuse me. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. A lot of people say, well, is the Bible true? Well, they could not have written this if it was false, 
because people would have just said that's a lie and it would have just gotten written out of history. But yet there were multiple people. It was in full view of everyone. So people would have heard this story and read, read about it 50 years later and said, yeah, I was there. My uncle was there. My friend was there. I heard about it. My grandparents were there. They were actually there. They saw this happen. This is true. So he gets up, he walks out in full view of them all. This amazes everyone and they praise God saying, we have never seen anything like this. We have never seen anything like this. The friends did whatever it took to get their friend to Jesus. They moved with urgency. So a couple of things we can take from this. One is we need to follow the Holy Spirit with urgency. We need to follow the Holy Spirit with urgency. Now, now this is an important thing because a lot of times Christians like to get pushy. You have, to, you have to accept Christ. Do you know what's going to happen to you? You're going to die. You're going to go to hell. Do you really want that to happen? No, your sins are not going to be forgiven. You're not going to be in a relationship with Christ. And we, and we, get, we get all like panicky. And, and, and I've talked to friends who are like, I hate when people get like that with me because they're just pushy. They're not, they're not interested in me. They're not interested in anything except just pushing me. And so it's not that we need to be urgent in pushing, but we need to follow the Holy Spirit with urgency. All believers have the Holy Spirit in us. If you accepted Christ last night or you accepted Christ 10 years ago, you've had the Holy Spirit in you and it will prompt you to do things. It'll prompt you to ministry and to loving and to sharing with people. And so we have an urgency to follow the prompting. So often we get it and we're like, oh, that's weird. I'm not going to do that. But we know it's the Holy Spirit. Uh, I'm not going to do that. Maybe later we start procrastinating. Uh, Maybe later. And then the, the moment's gone. The opportunity's gone. The person, the person moves the person gets a new job, the person uh, 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 has a situation where they don't go to the school anymore, the person gets sick and you don't see them for a week and then you forget about it, something happens and you miss the opportunity because you didn't follow the Holy Spirit with urgency. We have to be urgent in following the promptings and in loving people and in serving people. Again, this isn't an urgency to force them to Christ. We need to be urgent with what we can control and that is following the Holy Spirit following what he tells us to do. This leads to the second thing. Only God changes hearts. Only God changes hearts. We are not called to save anybody. Amen, hallelujah. You do not have to save one person. Jesus saves people, not us. All we want to do is point them to Jesus. That's what being a city on a hill is about. Being a light, being a light shining his glory towards other people so that they can be changed by God. They want to get changed, thank you. We, they want to get changed by God and not by us. We don't save people. And so we need to follow the Holy Spirit with urgency and allow God to change their hearts. That may take time, that may take patience. I want to show you a video, and it's kind of a, a, a not, we didn't make the video. It's a, it's a video that's always stuck with me. There's a guy, I just want to uh, explain a couple things before we watch it. There's a guy, uh, a pen and teller. This is like this magician group. Um, the guy is real big and he has a ponytail and they're on a TV show. They, they're in Las Vegas. The little guy doesn't talk. And so uh, they do comedy. They do magicians. They're like worldwide international magicians. They have this show where like you can come on and try to trick them and they'll, and they'll do magic. I'm not sure what channel it's on, but it's like a reality TV show, contest show. Um, so you may recognize him. His hair's, he's like just at his house taking a little video blog. Um, but what he's going to do is he's going to talk about um, an encounter he had with uh, a Christian guy at one of his shows, after one of his shows. Um, and I want you to listen to him because this man is a well-known atheist. He does not believe in Jesus. He does not believe in God. He does not believe in any of that at all. 
he is very, uh, you know, intellectual. He, he's very, he has a lot of reasons, and he's very well known as an atheist. He's going to use a word just so you know what it means. It's proselytize. Proselytize means um, to share your faith with someone, to share uh, what, what Jesus has done in your life, maybe to share scripture, to share uh, prayer, to share your testimony. That's what proselytize means. So he's going to say that a lot, but just know that, that you can replace proselytize with words you know better. But I just want you to watch this because this is all about urgency and sharing faith with the people in our lives. So check it out. I want to talk to you about this. Uh, I get home from the show, and at the end of the show, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we, uh, we talk to folks and, you know, sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on. And there was one guy waiting over to the side in the um, what I call the hover position after I was all done. Big guy, probably about my age. Big guy. And um, he had been the, um, the guy who has uh, picks the joke during our psychic comedian section of the show. Uh, so he had the props from that in his hand because we'd give those away. He had the the joke book and the and the envelope and the paper and stuff. If you haven't seen the live show, uh, it's not worth explaining. But he had props from the show that we'd given him from the night before. Uh, he wasn't the guy that night. And he walked over to me and he said, um, I was here last night at the show. And uh, uh, I saw the show and I liked it. I wanted, and he was very complimentary about my use of language and... Um, complimentary about, you know, honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff. No reason to go into it. He said nice stuff. And then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon pocket edition. Um, I thought it said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Or, uh, Psalms from the New, just part of the New Testament little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm sane. I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And, uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive. And he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice insane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, 
How much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. But this guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, like to show and so on, and then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, but I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man. And... Uh, that's really important. And with that kind of goodness, uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man, that was a good man who gave you that book. That's all I wanted to say. Bane can go ahead and come back up. Um, <clears throat> every time I watch that video, I'm like... Okay, so like he doesn't, he obviously doesn't believe in, in God. He doesn't believe in Christ. He says it explicitly. I, I, I don't believe it. I think it's kind of crazy. Um, and yet, I wonder if you notice the emotion in his voice. I wonder if you noticed the appreciation. I wonder if you noticed almost like the second thought where he's almost like, you know, this one guy, like, it's crazy. I think it's bad. I, I don't believe it, any of that. But this one guy kind of just, I don't know what it is. And it's like he can't even express it. He kind of keeps beating around the bush and talking about things uh, over and over again and over-explaining things because it's like, he just, like, he wants to keep talking about it. He, he's not really sure what to say. But it struck him deeply that someone shared their faith with him. And the truth is, like we said last night, we are not sharing something weird or crazy. We're sharing good news. We're sharing something that is beneficial to other people, that is eternally beneficial. And if you don't see uh, the possibilities when you're just kind and when you'll share your faith and when you'll be real about it, when you'll look people in the eye, when you'll be, uh, be engaged, not, you're, not, you're not selling something like we talked last night, but you're sharing something you care about and you're sharing it with someone you care about. Look at what can happen. And I strongly believe that if he one day, um, if he one day gives his life to Christ, there are going to be a lot of those little instances along the way that nudged him towards the cross. But, but the, the biggest thing I see in that video is a call to urgency. I'll never forget that line he says, if someone is standing in the road and a truck is coming at them, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Are you going to really let them get hit by the truck? Yeah, at first you might just be like, hey man, come on, get, 
get, get off the road. Hey, there's a car coming, Let, let's go, let's go. But eventually you get to the point where there is urgency. It is bearing down. You don't know what's gonna happen. You don't know if the person's gonna move and you have a decision to make. Am I going to save them or not? Am I going to help them or not? Am I going to reach out or am I just gonna stay over here where I feel comfortable? Am I just gonna procrastinate? Am I just gonna wait till tomorrow or let someone else do it? Here's the last question for you. Do you love them enough to take a risk? The people in your life that don't know Jesus, the people in your life that are far from God, do you love them enough to take a risk? That is a scary and almost offensive question. Do you care about them? Do you love them? Even an atheist says, this is much more important than life or death. This is eternity. If you actually believe this, how can you not share it? If an, if an atheist will say that, how can we not share it as Christians, as believers? How can we, how can we just walk past people and just say, eh, maybe another time, maybe someone else? In fact, it's interesting that he even says, how much do you have to hate someone to not tell them? I doubt we look at it that way, and I doubt we would express it that way, but the truth is, do you love them enough to take a risk? Do you love them enough to make yourself feel a little awkward, to make the invitation, to share your story, to tell them how much God loves them, to ask them if there's something that can be prayed about? You never know what conversation can lead to them coming to know Jesus. And the truth is, at some point, somewhere along the way, someone took a risk for you. Might have been your life group leader. It might have been uh, like Maddie's testimony video last night where a few of her friends in sixth grade, they might have felt awkward. But what if they had never asked Maddie to come to United? What if they had never said, hey, this matters to me. You should, it should matter to you too because you're my friend. Maybe she doesn't know Jesus. She's probably not involved here. She's probably not here this week and she's probably not raising up middle school girls year after year. And it came from someone who loved her enough to take a risk. And someone took a risk for you. It may have been your parents, your grandparents. It may have been a pastor, a leader. Someone took a risk for you. And even if you can't point to it, we do know one person that took a risk for us, and that is Jesus. Jesus took the ultimate risk for us. He risked his life. In fact, he sacrificed his life willingly. He went before before the judges and before the soldiers silent and allowed them to take him to his death. He took a risk for us. Who are we to say, I'm not taking a risk for someone else? I, I've got my stuff figured out. They can figure it out on their own. Maybe later, maybe another time. And, and even in this Mark 2 uh, chapter, the friends took a risk. They dug in some guy's roof. In America, we call it trespassing and destruction of property. And they were willing to do that for their friend. They went with urgency and they went with love and they took a risk for their friend. So two ways we're going to respond. Um, first thing is uh, I want you to write down three people. And you've done this before. I'm sure you have done this before. I want you to write down three people in your book. First and last name, very specific. I want you to even write where you know them. If you know them from work, school, neighborhood, whatever. And I want you to write three people that you think or know, do not know Christ, or um, at the very least are very far from him. And write down their name. Three people that are in your life that you care about. So write those names down. 
Write those three names down. We're going to keep looking at them throughout the weekend. And here's what I want to do again, because the first night, the gospel night, doesn't mean that's the only night to give your life to Christ. I'm, I'm pretty sure there's still people in this room that don't know Jesus as their Savior. And maybe last night you were like, okay, great story, cool. Uh, I'll wait till later. Maybe you're procrastinating on your own faith, procrastinating on your own decision. And you heard this story of, of, of urgency, this story of these friends that were willing to bring their friend before Jesus and do whatever it took. Maybe you saw that video and said, oh my gosh, what am I doing? I need to do it now. I need to turn my life over to Christ right now, immediately, with urgency, because I don't know what's coming up. I don't know what's going to happen in my life. So I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to give you the opportunity. I won't overexplain it. It's the same opportunity you had last night. I'm going to uh, pray a prayer, and I just want you, um, on the count of three, to raise your hand and pray the prayer with me, and then we'll meet in the back room. Life group leaders, keep your heads up. Um, If you want to give your life to Christ for the first time, if you want to turn your life over to Him, on the count of three, I want you to raise your hand. One, two, Jesus loves you so much. Three, raise your hand. Raise your hand, keep it high. Keep it high and pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I'm yours. I need a savior. Forgive me for the things I've done wrong. I surrender my life to you. You are the son of God. And you saved me. You took a risk for me. Take all of me. Take my life. It's yours. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.